I don't know about you, but I like a good football. Mike, do you like a good football? Isn't a good football a nice thing? I love it. I want to show you what I can do with a football. It's really, really cool. Get ready. It's really neat. Watch this. Isn't that amazing? The only problem, look, I can't keep it going, though. What? I can get it going a little bit, but then it keeps crashing on me. I, this is not a good football. It keeps doing that. Watch. A little bit more, but eventually it stops. You're probably saying, yeah, that's pretty obvious. I know that happens to a football, but that happens with life, too. There is this, you know, it goes for a while, but after a while you get tired you get weary, and you fall to pieces. Scientists would say this is from friction. It's from, you know, gravity pulling down. It's entropy. It's where a system that has energy starts losing energy, and then it stops altogether. And you say, of course, that's true. But you know we really don't necessarily believe that with our own lives, but it's true in our own lives. You could ask it like this. Let's, say, let's ask this, if God let go of us, because as a Christian, I believe in him, I live and move and have my being. So that means he is the one that sustains me. But let's just say God decided to let go. Would we be, be progressing as a human being, or would we implode like the football there it goes. Look, I, oh, down the hill. But it still stops. It still stops. Is evolution true? Where we're becoming better and better? Or is entropy, where we were once a you know, system that was fine-tuned, but then it started crashing? Which one's true? The evolutionists say, because you know, in somewhere inside of us, there's this need to survive. I don't know where they got that. Maybe they got it from the, you know, the selection of better uh, you know, criteria that are going to succeed longer. Why didn't I get more of that? Seems like I didn't get much of that. They will say that we are progressing. We're getting smarter and smarter and better and better. That's what they believed at least in the 1800s and there was two massive world wars and they had to recalibrate and rethink through some of that. Or, if God just let us go, would we all collapse and die? It's very interesting. It says in the book of Hosea, this is Hosea chapter 4, 1 through 3, because there's no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land, there is only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. Because of this, the land dries up, and all who live in it waste away. So, the prophet Hosea says, if there is no faith in God, if we give up on God, and let's say God gives on, up on us, the end result is we waste away. We fall apart. So if God let us go, we all, everyone, would implode. But he's faithful. And he's faithful to his word. And because he's faithful to his word, he doesn't let go of us. He keeps spinning us, spinning us every single day. And so this message is for the person, if you are struggling to keep it together, 
and you feel like your whole life is unraveling. Like, I don't know if I can make it another day. Really, I don't. This message is for you because he's not going to let go. The title of this message is The Finisher. He's the author and he's the finisher of our, of our faith. And we're going to see that in the life of Jacob. If you can open up to Genesis 35, as we continue in our Genesis study, Jacob's starting to get older. And what you're going to see is that God is not going to let go of Jacob for a number of reasons. And in the same way he won't let go of Jacob, he doesn't let go of you either. So let's read Genesis 35, 1 through 7, and then we will begin to dissect it. Genesis 35, verse 1. Then God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come. Let us go up to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears and Jacob buried them under the oak of Shechem. Then they set out and the terror of God fell upon the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar, and he called the place El Bethel, because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Okay, so this is the story of Jacob. Jacob is getting a little bit older, but before we unpack this, we need to get some context. Context, context, context. It's the first rule of really understanding Scripture. Just like location, 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 Context. If you don't know context, the, the passage doesn't, you don't know why God's speaking or why what's going on. But what we see in chapter 34 at the very end, if you look at verse 30, Jacob is overwhelmed with life. If you remember last week, it was a terrible story. He has a daughter, Dinah. Dinah gets raped by Shechem. Dinah's brothers are mad. They go and they literally wipe out the whole city of Shechem after they circumcised them to basically pay back. And so we enter verse 30, and here's Jacob. Jacob sees, Jacob sees a ravished daughter. He sees murderous sons, and he sees a whole community that now is going to hate him. And here's what he says. Verse 30, then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have brought trouble on me by making me a stench. I, it's, I, our family's going to stink to all the families around, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the people living in this land. And not only that, I mean, if you think of Jacob, the way he's seeing it, he's, we're few in number. So they hate us, and there's not much to us. And if they join forces and attack, we're dead. So could you imagine Jacob in his tent? He's overwhelmed. His daughter's ravished. His kids are wicked. 
and he knows his reputation is ruined. Life, life's like that for all of us. It has a way of catching up. You could throw in there old age, busy schedules, bad diets, achy bones, un, unending stress. And then you have this ever-present social media that's always playing, always playing, with every article meant to make you angry. You know every article is designed to make you mad? That's how they make money. So you'll read an article, wow, that makes me mad. They want you to read it. And if it gets you mad, you'll click on it. And if you click on it, they get money. So that adds to the frustration. And then pile on that, those personal sins that you hide and then the failings of your past, the setbacks that just happen in life, whether it's a car that you, somebody smashes into you, life's overwhelming. I mean, truthfully, it's overwhelming. In my preaching class, uh, Dr. Warren Maddox, he's this African-American man, and he would, he would say, if you preach about heartache, if you preach about heartache, you'll never be without an audience. And so, do you ever feel like giving up? Are you overwhelmed? I mean, are you tired of like, I bet, you know, Jacob, he says we're going to stink. You, you tired of stinking? Feeling defeated in your walk with God? If you do, this sermon is for you. So go like this. Yes! I learned this from Cason Armstrong. He gets excited. He goes like that. I want to focus on one promise. We're going to go through Genesis 35, but I want to jump to a promise in the New Testament that is going to be illustrated in Jacob's life, and it's found in the book of Philippians. And I want you to go to chapter 1, verse 6 of Philippians, and if you can, if you don't mind underlining in your Bible, underline it. And we're going to use this as our template for Jacob's life. And here's what Philippians says. And I have it up on the screen too, if you... Verse 6. I am sure of this. We're being confident of this. He who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, or at the day of Jesus Christ. So the verse I have up there, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. How many of you have ever heard this verse before? Raise your hand. Probably most of you. But, but we let it slip away so quickly when we get overwhelmed. It's very simple. It's going to go in three parts. We're going to talk about, number one, he who began this work will bring continual work. So he who began it, the initiator, will keep initiating because he's the finisher, which is the whole point. The second thing is the way he does this is he works in you. That's point two. And then the final thing is he will work in you until you are completed. So let's start with the first part. He who began will continue to bring it. So if you're overwhelmed, want to give up, you need to listen. So let's go back to Genesis 35. 
as I was studying this, I was, um, I was contemplating this yesterday in a coffee shop, and over the radio, or over the sound system, I heard these words. You might, I won't tell you the song, but you'll get it right away, especially you guys back there, the 70s stuff, you know, it gets you. When the night has come, and the land is dark, and the moon is the only light you see. No, I won't. Be afraid. I won't shed a tear just as long as you stand by me. If the sky that we look upon, you could, you could actually have an accent, if the sky that we look upon should tumble and fall, or the mountains should crumble to the sea, I won't cry, no, I won't cry, just as long as you stand by me. Now, this is a writer who's saying, I will stand by you, but what if there's nobody to stand by you? What if everybody's exhausted? Should we quit, crawl into a hole, and die? Is that, is that the answer when we get overwhelmed? You know what, I, I would even say, go ahead and try. If you're a Christian, go ahead and try, because... You can't, because he who began a good work in you will continue. Even if you want to quit, you won't be able to, because he made a promise to you, he'll pick you up and spin you again. God won't let you fall. We, we believe something. We believe, number one, one, number one premise of our faith is we believe a God exists. We believe he's alive. So, the best way to put it is we believe if we could, I like to illustrate it like this, rip open the roof, rip open the skies, look behind the veil of heaven. Right now, what we teach, what we believe, is sitting at the right hand of the invisible Father is a person with pierced hands. Like right now. And he talks to his Father who's invisible on our behalf every day. We believe this. But some will say, if it's true, I just want to see him. I just want to touch him. But I respond, but he gives us something better. You've heard him. He gives us his word. He speaks. That's what happens here in verse 30, chapter 35. Jacob in verse 30 is worried, overwhelmed. My daughter, my kids, I, we stink. And then God said to Jacob, that's how it begins in chapter 35. Then God said, out of, the, out of the darkness, a voice comes in. God speaks. Same thing in verse 9. After Jacob returned from Padam Aram, God appeared to him and blessed him, and he said to him. And so the way God works is he speaks. I was, I was uh, waiting for my son yesterday in Chicago, and I was just sitting at this uh, park in Wheaton, beautiful park. It had a little music stand, you know, like they have in Sparta, and they had this bluegrass band playing. And uh, you had a lady that was playing on the fiddle and a guy playing a banjo. But it was really far away. I couldn't see them, really. I couldn't even make out their forms, but I could hear their voice clear as crystal. God speaks. When he speaks, you hear it. Even though you don't see him, you know it's him. 
you know it's him. He has given us two books to read from. It says in Psalm 19 he has. It says every day the heavens are declaring him. Day after day they pour forth speech. Really, if you just stop the world and look around, he's speaking to you. And then that is supposed to draw you in. And then when he gets very specific, he gives us his revealed word. He gives us his word. And he does this in a number of ways. I believe when he, when he wants you to hear his voice, he sends preaching. I believe this is, in, this is why we need this on a weekly basis, to encourage your soul. Some of you come in here and go, can I really trust God? And then a preacher focuses you on this and, and points you to look. Look at verse 11. And God said to him, what did he say to Jacob? I am God Almighty. He's God Almighty. And you hear that word, and then Jesus says his word is like a seed. Let me show you. This is a cool little thing. Go to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. In verse 26. Jesus is telling a parable about what the kingdom of heaven is like or what it really means to be a Christian and how it works, basically giving you the, the way God works. And here's what he says in verse 26. He said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, throwing seed. Night and day... Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts a sickle to it because the harvest has come. But what he's basically saying is a number of things. You can interpret a number. But one way you can interpret this is God's word, when it's planted, it will start working. His word is generative. It gives life. And in a way it works, if you go back to Genesis 35, he speaks, and in his speech, he first reminds you of what he's already done. In this case, he told Jacob in verse 2, he says, uh, actually verse 1, I appeared to you, or this God appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. Remember? Remember when I met you 20 years ago? And you're fleeing, I met you on this same place. Go there. And he says the same thing in verse 3. Let us go up to Bethel where I'll build an altar to God who answers me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I've gone. He, re, he's, he remembers, looks back at what God has done and then he gives a promise how he's going to continue to fulfill. So not only does he speak, but he reminds and then he gives a Future fulfillment, verse 11. I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation, a community of nations will come from you. Kings from your body. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I give to you. So he gives promises. And so when this, when this is planted in our heart, it begins to do the second part. begins to work in us. It's God's word working in us. God's word transforms his life, uh, transfers his life. And it starts making us alive. It keeps us spinning. It, 
excites our mind and sparks our faith. Philippians is interesting. It says, work out what has been worked in you. Work out your salvation which, with fear and trembling, which God has worked in you. So he works in you for the purpose of starting to grow you and working you out to making you better and better, stronger and stronger, holier and holier. How do you know, here's the question, how do you know God is working in you? How do you know? Let me show you how Jacob works out what has been worked in him in verse 2. This is how you know God is working in you. Verse 2. So Jacob said to his household, so he hears God, and God tells him to go back to Bethel, where he first was there. And so Jacob said to his household, and all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you. Purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel. How do you know God is working in you? I am just going to submit to you. It's the same way it works in Jacob's heart. These truths that you need to get right with God start coming alive in your life. You're tired of the stink. Yesterday, I was sitting in that same coffee shop where I heard that song. And as I was sitting there, I bought this little book to kind of jot my thoughts, you know, and have my pen, my little pen. I get in a corner. And it's kind of nice. Nobody knows me over there in Chicago. And I'm writing, and in comes this lady who's probably about 85, with bags, a lot of bags. And she's wearing clothes that are urine-soaked with dung all over them. And she sat right next to me. It's sad. And I want to show respect. And I stayed there about an hour, and I couldn't take it anymore. Honestly, I had to get out. She could sit into that. That smell didn't affect her. But after a while, I just couldn't smell it anymore. I mean, I talked, I was trying to be kind, but that stench. I believe when God starts working in you, the stench of being an idolater, of being a sinner, just you don't want it anymore. I can't take it anymore. And so what Jacob does is, I don't want to stink to all the nations around here. His wife, Rachel, remember, she stole these idols from her dad. He's like, we got we to we gotta get rid of that stuff. So he gets rid of idols, he cleans himself, and then he changes clothes. You could say that as a metaphor. What is your idol? What is it that has replaced God, satisfies you more than God, or you have been relying on more than God? What is that thing that you're finding your shelter in? Is it your family, your job, your... Is it your, is it your drugs, your alcohol? What, what is it? Is it your food? Stop relying on that stuff to give your life satisfaction. Get rid of your idols. It's funny, we, we sang that song, we bow our heart, we bend our knees. Oh, Jesus, come make us humble. 
we turn our eyes from evil things. Lord, we cast out our idols. You guys sang that this morning. Do you know that's a prayer when you sing? It's not just a nice sounding thing to make my heart feel good. It's a prayer. You guys sang that prayer. Oh Lord, I cast out my idols. Do you? See, what Jared does, he baits and switches us. He gets us to sing. <laughs> no. What are your gods? I read this article that says, you know what most, you know what our gods are these days? Credit cards. Public school sports. Travel squads. And politics. And then what Jacob does is Jacob then cleans himself. Look at what he says in verse, verse 2, purify yourself. I think that's your heart, soul, and mind, all three. So clean, clean yourself is repenting from your sins and repent from your sloth. You start wanting to be blameless. You don't want to jump in with the rest of the slop everybody else is. And then you change your clothes. One writer said, in the New Testament, the idea of clothes are your habits and your attitudes. Instead of lying, cursing, anger, put on love, joy, peace. Change. I would say it also includes your affiliations and your identity. What do you identify yourself as? Take off the old, put on the new. Are you tired of the stink? Are you tired of the stink? Because truthfully, my point of this is, Jacob, when God starts working in you, you don't need somebody outside of you pointing the finger and said, you need to change. It comes from the inside. You just are like, I need to change. That's how you know God's working in you. You start smelling yourself and go, spiritually, I stink. And then the third part is not only does God work in you, he brings it to completion. Look what he says to, look what he says to Jacob. It's fascinating. So you have verse 3. Jacob starts wanting to change. Verse 3. He tells his whole family, come on, let's go up to Bethel. I'll build there an altar to God. He answered me in the day of my distress, and he was with me where I've gone. So he heard God's word, and he's compelled. He's like, I, wanna, I want to recommit my life. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had. Remember, Rachel stole some, and they must have spread out. They gave them the rings of their ears. So if you have earrings, ladies, hand them in. Hand them in. That's bad exegesis. This is, they would wear, wear jewelry and stuff to worship their God. And then look at verse 5. Because they committed, look at verse 5. And consider this in light of what Jacob was scared about. Remember he said we're going to be a stench and all the nations are going to want to drive us out and kill us and destroy us? Verse 5. Then they set out and the terror of God fell upon the towns all around them so no one pursued them. God is going to make sure this is a completed thing. He sends the terror of God. Jacob was terrified at the nations around him just a chapter before that. Now the terror of God goes with them. The nations are going to be terrified of Jacob and his family. God put his stamp on the life 
of Jacob. I'll tell you, we, we fear things so much. We just fear things. We fear the future. We fear the, our health. We fear our finances. And what it does, that fear causes anxiety, and anxiety steals your joy. Take, it takes your joy away. But if you can tell yourself, God's going to complete his work in me. He's promised me. It starts, it starts overcoming that fear. And you start actually doing just the, you become a strong person. I'll give you an illustration of what I mean. Because fear, even though God promises, and he'll get you there, he'll complete it, you get to choose how you want to get to that destination. Because you're going to get to that destination. But you choose how you want to get there. When my wife and I got married, we, we uh, took a plane out to California because we had a lodge up in the Sierra Nevada mountains, up in the Sequoia National Forest. And it was early December. It was still open. And when we flew in, they said a storm was on top of the mountains. And uh, as we went up, our cabin was 10,000 feet above sea level. It was raining when we landed, but up in the mountains it snows. So the higher we went, not only the steeper the grade, but it started to become slush and then snow, and it was coming down. They made us stop and put chains on our tires. And I was, I'm telling you, when we were going up, I could look over the guardrail and see down a thousand feet. And I'm driving white knuckled. Ah! Terrified. I mean, terrified. That's how I was driving. Oh! My wife, however, was with her man, man. She knew, I, she knew I would get her to that completion. She knew it. And so she's looking out the window going, isn't it beautiful? If you can look all the way down, it's, so, it's like a wonderland out here. We both made it to the lodge. We both made it to our destination. But I was miserable the whole trip. Some of us are so miserable on our way to the destination. We're worried. We're white-knuckled. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. But I don't know, I'm gonna, I, I don't know if I'm going to believe anymore. I think he's going to let No, he'll take care of you. But some of us are, we take our cares, cast them on the Lord, and today we don't let anybody steal our joy. We're okay. And if you look around and look at the sky and notice a flower coming up, taking a deep breath, it's great. You'll make it to your destination. Do you know what the ultimate destination for life is? See, I'm not sure we, I think one of the problems is we're not too sure about the ultimate destination. Every book I've been reading these days sometimes I'll write about it, is success. That's not the ultimate destination. If success is your ultimate destination, you have real reason to worry because you'll never be as successful as you ever want to be. You'll never achieve it. Some people want their best life now. I won't tell you who says that, but you probably know who says that. I don't even know what that means. What does it mean to have your best life now? And a corollary to that is we need to be the best version of ourselves. I don't even know what that means. It's very self-centered. 
I need to be my best version of myself. There's no good version of Chris Weeks, honestly, to be honest with you. It's not uh, having buildings built with our name on them. That's not the ultimate goal. It's not why we're on the earth. And it's not even having books written so you can have a signing day. It's not even that. Do you know what God wants in your life? And I think if you know the destination, it makes life a little bit easier, but it's also, it's also strange. Go to the book of Galatians. This is one of those verses that has always captivated me. But Paul is talking about how God selected him from birth, pulled him and set him aside for a purpose. He was an apostle, but it's not just to be an apostle. Look at verse 15 of Galatians 1. And I'm reading the NIV. The ESV says a little bit different, but I believe it's still the You know, I mean, you'll, you'll see. Verse 15, Paul saying, But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me. So that I might preach among the Gentiles, but I think the goal of what God wants in your life is I think he wants to reveal his son in you. It's, it's kind of like, all right, so when Jacob's walking around, it, he doesn't explain how it's going to happen, but he said, Jacob, wherever you go, the fear of me is going to go out. So people are going to know the presence of God is with Jacob and his family, and they're not going to touch him. I, I'm not going to touch you. I'm not going to. I believe this, this is sort of the same thing, but in a different way. When I walk in, if I'm really, if I clean myself, I get rid of my idols, if I really get tired of the stink and I want to serve God, I make God my, I'm going to walk into places and people will go, there's something about that person that I need to know. He's like nobody else. There's a um, peace about him. There's a joy. I, I think the, really the telltale mark is there's joy. Like not feigned or hype, but a buoyancy of spirit where this person is whole. Do you know one of the things that Hebrews says, and it's, you can say it in Psalm 45, one of the things about Jesus compared to other men, it says he was anointed with the oil of joy. If Jesus is seen in my life, I will be too. I won't be driving worried. I'm going to die every second. I'm going to look out and say, isn't this incredible? But the question for you is, go to the next slide, does that please you? Is that what you want? Do you want God to be seen, Jesus to be seen in you? If not, is he working in you? Are you allowing him to work in you? Or do you like to stink? Because it's hard for God to work when you stink. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. 